Thank you so much, Savannah. We really appreciate you. Can we just give her a hand? <laughs> so good morning, Lakeview Church. I am so honored uh, to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Um, it's actually kind of scary sharing this platform with some of the other amazing uh, preachers of the word, like Pastor Chris and Pastor Jared and Pastor Jessica and so many others uh, who we've invited to, to bring the word of the Lord. Um, I just wanted to say... Uh, a huge thank you to Lakeview for the ways in which you have supported me and my wife in our journey here at Lakeview. Um, for that, we are eternally grateful and we love each and every single one of you. Um, for those of you who may not know this face or may not know my name, I'm usually behind uh, where I'm standing right now playing the guitar and leading songs in worship. Um, my name is Christian Kelly, and I do serve as the worship pastor here at Lakeview, but I also serve in another capacity as the facility director uh, here at Lakeview. My wife, Ashlyn, you can often find her uh, serving at the children's check-in desk or up in the computer booth uh, running our slides. And Ashlyn, you're really awesome, and I appreciate everything that you do here as well. Now, part of my job, as I mentioned, is taking care of the grounds here at Lakeview uh, in our facilities. And I've gotten the opportunity over like the last uh, 10 months or so, and probably a bit longer, to learn a whole lot about our facility. We're currently in the middle of one of the largest projects that I've personally been a part of, which is the replacement of our preschool roof. Can I get an amen? <laughs> if you've had anything to do with Lakeview Preschool in the past or, or even been in the building in rec uh, recent years, you may have walked in there and encountered some of the beautiful uh, built-in water features uh, throughout the hallways of that building. Um, and I've had the opportunity uh, going through that building to clean up some of the messes when the water just gets a little bit too much uh, out of hand. Um, and every single time that I walk in there, I'm just praying to God with tears in my eyes. Lord, let me stay dry. And Lord, don't let the roof cave in on me. <laughs> But now that we've got the roofers who've been so gracious and so uh, wonderful to us, they're going to be over there fixing that. They've actually started a couple weeks ago um, and really excited for all the work that they're go uh, going to be doing over there. Uh, believe it or not, I just heard this a couple weeks ago, the administration over at Westminster Preschool, they have a name for these water features. It is the Westminster Waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, with the help of our roofer and by the grace of God, we are finally getting these problems fixed and removing all of these water features out of our preschool. And with this, I say, with each season of reaping with tears comes a harvest of joy. <laughs> now, I don't always like to compare myself to others by any means, um, but I just wanted to say that Pastor Jared, he's not here so I can talk about him. He's, he's out camping in the, in the woods of Pennsylvania, is that where they're at? So they're, they're out in Pennsylvania. Maybe he's watching, um, depending on how good his cellular signal is out there. Um, but kudos to Pastor Jared. He has been getting so much better at singing. Can I get an amen? <laughs> he has been getting so much better at singing, so much so that I think that he could probably take my job if he wanted to. JK, just kidding. <laughs> And I also wanted to say a big kudos to boss man, Pastor Chris. Uh, his shoe game has been getting exponentially better um, over the last six months. There was a point in time where he would not touch a pair of white tennis shoes, if I remember correctly. In the last week in the office, I've seen a pair of white tennis shoes, which that's my favorite. So you're looking good, boss man. <laughs> 
Thirdly and lastly, before we get started, I noticed that there are a bunch of kids in the room today. So if you are a child, would you raise your hand up really high? Dwayne Kelly, yep, yep, your, your hand's raised. That's my dad, by the way. Um, so many of you have your hands raised up. I am so excited. Don, I see your hand over there. Don, how old are you? 72. 72, 72-year-old children. They are my favorite, my absolute favorite. Um, all of you who raised your hand, uh, and at least the ones of you who are of the appropriate child age, should have received a kit um, when you checked in at the children's check-in, and it contains a game of bingo with 24 words. Yes. Can you raise that high, Savannah? 24 words that hopefully I will remember to say throughout this, the, this time of my sermon. Um, but I did want to give you guys a couple of freebies, so listen up. There's two freebies that I'm going to give you right now. The first one starts with a T, and that word is travailing. Can everybody in the room say that with me? Travailing. The second word that I want uh, to give you children uh, for your bingo game is the word prayer. Can everybody say that with me? Prayer. This week we're going to be talking about travailing prayer. Now last week Pastor Chris walked us through a wonderful message focused on 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses, verse 58, just one verse this week, and it reads this. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And in, in this message, Pastor Chris challenged us to be faithful in the meantime by replacing these three things. You may remember from last week, replacing spiritual apathy, kingdom disengagement, and missional indifference Replacing those with these three things, spiritual fervency, kingdom focus, and missional fruitfulness. And a word that kept coming up to Pastor Chris as he was preparing that message, do you guys remember what it was? If you remember it, shout it out. I heard it over here, revival, revival. Though this message that I'm going to be sharing with you today isn't part of this sermon series that we just finished, Surprised by Hope, I believe that what we will be talking about today will end up being one of the most crucial parts of bringing a new revival and a new awakening to this generation of the church. And I'm not talking, when I say this generation, I'm not talking about my age or, or the children's age. I'm talking about this group of people sitting in this room right now, all the way from the children who are usually in their classes at this time, all the way up to the people who are on their deathbed. All of those people, this generation of the church. And I'm especially speaking to a certain group of people who have a position of spiritual influence because of your age. And I don't take that lightly. Some of the people in this room who are gifted with age, I'll say that, such as Don or, or my dad. Sorry, dad. <laughs> Some of you have a position of spiritual influence simply because of how long you've been around and how long you've been in this church. And you will play one of the most important roles in bringing revival to this generation because guys like me, we look to you. We look to you and we listen to you. So please, please, please take this message seriously, this message of travailing prayer. 
This term travailing prayer is an important term that was brought to my attention recently by a gentleman named Dr. David Thomas. And David Thomas is uh, one, the, uh, a very, very prolific writer for Seedbed Ministries, and he also is the senior advisor to New Room uh, Conference and Network. And David Thomas, um, I got the opportunity to actually sit with him for quite a while um, over the course of three or four days as we wrote songs together, as he shared about travailing prayer. And um, I think that what he had to say is going to apply to our church as we move into this next season very well. Uh, David, he provided a beautiful scripture-filled series of discussions focused on awakening in this generation and how, most, how the most important thing in this uh, time is when we, the church, we bring ourselves, our entirety, all of our anger, all of our sadness, all of our joy, when we bring those things under the subjugation of the Lord, we take everything that we are and we seek after him with everything. We need to become people of deep and heartfelt (laughs) prayer. Not only did David speak about travailing prayer and the historical implications of it on the American Westland movement, but he exemplified it. He literally, in the middle of this uh, cohort or in the middle of this songwriting session, we had a time of prayer. He laid flat on the ground and prostrate as as an example of humility and of submission to the Lord. He prayed with us and he talked to us so much about, about the past of our church and the past of our church's movements. That is precisely what I would like to do today is to bring this idea of travailing prayer to you and pray hard that God would do a good work in us. And I hope that you're able to hear the word of God through all the scripture that's read and, through, and that the Holy Spirit would genuinely speak to each of your hearts, burdening you with the heart of God. And let us begin with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, creator of all, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Help me feel the gravity of your heart of love for this world and the church. Help our church to put our faith in you, not forgetting that you truly have the power to change lives, to change circumstances, and to change our hearts. We ask today that you would open us up to your loving truth and fill us with your Holy Spirit who guides and protects us each and every single day. Amen. I think many of us have been aware of how um, our country has been going in a bit of a downward spiral, both in uh, cultural uh, and in our own human condition. We've just been going on a downward spiral. On both sides of the political spectrum, we have people who are loud and they are cruel and they are hateful oftentimes mocking and demeaning those who don't agree with them. Skepticism and stoicism, that means people who don't necessarily believe what's true and they question it constantly. And those of us who don't really show a whole lot of concern or care for the things around us, those two things are running rampant in our church today, not only due to the many cases of abuse and sin um, happening in our church. In fact, there was a church in, in Warsaw, you may have seen it on the news, who recently had a case of a really, really bad uh, sinful behavior um, and sexual abuse, and that pastor resigned. And that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. That's the kind of stuff that we need revival for and that this church needs to raise up in prayer because of. Our culture's telling us 
that I know the truth for me and you can't tell me otherwise. The Bible can't even tell me otherwise. That's what our culture around us is telling us. And even while we're beginning to get past the COVID crisis that started in, in late 2019, early 2020, the effects of this disease are still materializing themselves in people's bodies as other health conditions pop up, as new variants ravage other parts of the world. And so many people are desperate for change, desperate for relief, and desperate for something new. I believe that even our church here at Lakeview is desperate, but are we desperate for the right things? Are we desperate for something that only God can do? Do we truly have faith in God that he can do what he says he can do? But not only that, do we have faith that we believe that he will do what he says he will do? Because if we only believe that God can do something, we live a hopeless life. When we believe and we pray as if God will do something, that is where our hope comes from. Do we have the faith in God that believes he can and will bring the revival and awakening that this country truly needs? This desperation, it's not a new concept. Um, and if you've looked back at, at history by any means at the American Wesleyan Methodist movement, there are a multitude of what we would now call awakenings or revivals. And the first of these moments in our American history um, would be called, in at least my textbooks that I, I read at Indiana Wesleyan, um, as the first great awakening, which focuses on the work of a few different people, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards here in America and on the East Coast, and then John and Charles Wesley in Europe. This movement of awakening was in direct correlation of the constant increase in increasing secularization and materialistic nature of the church. That sound familiar? That sound familiar? Many of those involved, many of those involved in these uh, great revivals could recall, recall prayers and praises being lifted up in every doorway of every single home. And it wasn't sil a silent or calm sort of revival. It was loud, it was raucous. And people were genuinely crying out to God because they actually cared about the heart of God. People were filled with the Spirit of God and cried out to him. And this reminds me of a story of the Israelites in Exodus. So many times the Israelites, they cry out to God and he hears them and is reminded of his covenant with them. In Exodus 2, 23 through 25, it says this. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. Why do we get so upset that God isn't doing things in our, in our community, in our church, and in our world? Does, does God know that it's time to act yet? And how does he know that it's time to act if his people are not crying out to him? Other moments of awakening in the church um, would be the second and third great awakenings in the late 18th and 19th century and even into the late 20th century. And many movements like this began 
on the uh, frontier camp meeting movement, which as the, the Americas began to travel west, people will just have these pop-up camp meetings, and we even still have our old-time camp meeting here um, in the Crossroads District that happens, and that's kind of a remnant of these 18th, 19th century camp meetings. Charles Finney on the East Coast brought revivals that led to what uh, Dr. David Thomas calls the impulse of abolitionism, and much like the negative and destructive trends of these times, God was able to reverse the hold of sin on people and communities. Now listen to what I'm about to say next. If God can do it then, why can't he do it here in Grant County right now? And if he can't do it in Grant County, why can't he do it in me? Or why can't he do it in you? And some of you, some of you have even experienced some of these times of revival in more recent times. In fact, just this last week, Jeanette Spratt sent me an email. Um, It was perfectly timed. She sent me this email about... um, the shockwaves of the Asbury Revival. Were any of you guys a part of the Asbury Revival of 1971? Anybody? A few of you uh, remember some of that. Um, the Asbury Revival was a wonderful time where there was a, a concert that happened at Asbury, and from that concert, shockwaves spread across the college campus. They even came here to Lakeview where the church was open 24-7, seven days a week for two weeks straight with people gathering and praying and lifting up their community. Jeanette shared with me that at each of these gatherings that they had, they, they sang this song, um, and many of you would know this song. It goes something like this. We are standing on holy ground. Sing along with me. And I know that there are angels all around. Let praise Jesus now we are standing in his presence on holy ground if God can do it then why can't he do it here right now and if he can do it here and now, why can't he do it in you? I personally can even remember a few years ago when I was still at Indiana Wesleyan University, um, we had a, uh, what they call summit, a spiritual emphasis week. And, and out of this, we had a, a lot of times of prayer. And I'm not exactly sure what happened in this particular summit service, um, but we had class right after it. And what they ended up doing is we, we, we canceled class because people were praying. We canceled class because people were praying and they continued to worship. And even as we left that week and went into our dorms, people continued to pray. And they actually ended up canceling class for two days after that. If it can happen there, why can't it happen here? With each season of reaping with tears comes a harvest of joy. And with each of these awakening revival experience came prayer filled with the tears and the hearts that were after God's own. And might I add that after each of these seasons, and even seasons like this in Scripture, God moved in powerful and mighty ways. So what exactly is this travailing prayer? So often you and I go about our days and weeks, and maybe we decide to kneel next to our bed, and we pray to God, thanking him for our day and asking him to help us with some task that we can't overcome or we have to accomplish. 
Maybe we pray with our small group each week and we lift one another up and we ask God to take care of our burdens. And while all this is very important for the church to practice, we can often get way too casual with our praying. We pray to do our due diligence or we pray just to be spiritual and to check a box. But do we truly pray in a way that displays our faith in God that he really can do the unimaginable? Do we truly pray in a way that displays our faith in God that he will do the unimaginable? That's where travailing prayer comes in. The word travail is defined by Oxford Dictionary as painful or laborious effort, as in you will do something with travail. The verb to travail means basically the same thing. And to understand it more fully, think of a a mother as she's giving labor. She's exerting so much effort. There's tears, there's crying, there's pain. And at the end of it, when the baby is finally hers, there is joy in this harvest. In the scriptures, in both Old and New Testament, we're given examples of those who were seeking after God in prayer and how they positioned themselves and cried out to God in this way. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we're given a picture of Elijah calling upon the name of the Lord to prove that God is the only true God. In verses 36 and 37, it reads this. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me so these people will know you, that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Let me rephrase that last verse. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people, these 42,000 people in Grant County who do not know you will come to know you and know that you are Lord, O God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. A bit later in verse 42, Elijah climbed up to, the Mount of Top Car- up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed low to the ground with his hands between his knees and he prayed in desperation for rain to end drought and to provide for the people. In both of these instances of prayer when he was calling upon the Lord to prove himself and do a mighty act, Elijah prayed in faith knowing that God would, in fact, show up. Not that he just could show up, but that he would show up. Again, in Hannah, uh, in 1 Samuel, she's praying for a son, and Eli was watching her, thinking that she was drunk as she prayed to the Lord. I can only imagine her crying out to him, and she, could, she sounded, you couldn't even tell what she was saying because of the way that she, her heart was crying out to the Lord. It was, it was coming up from the canyons of her gut. And Eli said, what are you doing, crazy lady? Are you drunk? And Hannah said, no, I am an oppressed woman. I am a woman oppressed in spirit, and I have not had any wine or strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. For all this time, I have been praying out of the depth of my anguish and grief. Just like in Isaiah 62, our prayers are to give God no rest. They are unceasing. We must cling to the Lord as a belt 
clings to the person's waist, like Jeremiah 13 says. And just like in Hebrews 5, verse 7, we see Jesus saying this, and that he offered prayers and pleadings, and with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death, so too will God hear our prayers when we labor after his heart and his soul. The agony of Jesus' prayers here and in the Garden of Gethsemane drew the first blood of the atonement. In every example and instance found in the Bible where God does a mighty and unimaginable act for his people, it is preceded by this kind of prayer. The kind of prayer that comes from the canyons of your gut The kind of prayer that longs for God like the deer pants for a water next to a stream. The kind of prayer that brings restoration, reconciliation, and repentance to a world that desperately, desperately needs a Savior. The Bible is utterly unfamiliar with casual prayer. What do I mean by that? Casual prayer, like I mentioned a few moments ago, It has no concern for the true enemy at hand. It has no concern for the end goal. It assumes that we're comfortable and okay right now and that when our prayers are answered, it'll make life a little bit better. Prayers of travail, on the other hand, address the actual issues of our day. Prayers of travail don't focus on ourselves. They focus on the enemy, and they focus on the God who can and will, can and will show up to do a good work. If we want revival here in Marion, Indiana, we have to pray like this. We have to pray like this. What would happen if we here at Lakeview prayed like this and prayed with travail? God, give us your heart. God, give us your heart. Having taken all of this in, I want to provide you with just a few uh, steps that you can take to make your prayer life way less casual. Man, Lakeview, let us travail in prayer. These are going to go pretty quick, so if you're writing these down, I'll try to go a little bit slow. But Number one, seek God about your own heart and how you are doing. Seek God about your own heart and how you are doing. As you're praying to God and and asking him to to help you or make your circumstances different, first ask him, Lord, am I really living up to the way that you want me to live? What in my life is distracting me from seeking after you with everything that I am? Is it social media? Is there something in my life that's distracting me? Is it the political jargon of our day that's distracting me from you, Lord? Lord, Is it conspiracy? Is it gossip? What is distracting me and taking my heart from you, Lord? Number two, seek God for his heart in prayer. In other words, pray for your prayer. Ask God to form your words as you're talking to him and form your mind and form your heart so that when you go to him, you're asking him for the things that really matter. Number three, This one's hard, and hard for me. But choose desperation. I kind of addressed it a little bit ago, but here in America, we have it pretty good. 
because of the sacrifice of those who died in war, we have it really good here. So good, in fact, that we don't even know desperation like other people do. We don't know what it's like to be desperate for food and desperate for water, though some may say we're headed in that direction. There's so many things that buffer this life and make it comfortable. But when you choose to take all of your focus from those things that make you comfortable and point it back to the Lord, how much more do you need the Lord than you need all those things? Choose to be desperate for the Lord. We must be willing to push through these buffers, through this comfortableness, continue to be desperate for God and who he, who he is and what he is. Number four, raise your vision. And what I mean by raise your vision is raise the way that you view and you see, and you see yourself and you see the church. Um, when you look at the church in Acts, they were desperate for the Lord. When you look at the church, or what I sometimes call American churchianity today, there's a vast difference between the amount of desperation that we have for the Lord and the amount of desperation that the early church had. And I think that each of us, we need to see that gap, and it must be intolerable. That gap between our church today and how they were at the beginning must be intolerable. Raise your expectations of yourself and raise your expectations of the church today. Number five, stay in the grip of honesty. Be honest with people. When you're honest with yourself, when you're honest with people around you, when you're honest with the Lord, there's no hiding, there's no disguising, there's no worry of where you may end up. And lastly, let's join together in the most ancient prayer of the church. From the, time, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, God's people are praying, come Holy Spirit. This is the single prayer that I know God will and has always answered. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. As we come to the end of this service today, I'd like for us to just take a moment and posture ourselves, asking him to make us desperate for him desperately asking him for his spirit to come. And in light of the recent tragedies across our country and the trajectory of our country and the trajectory of our world with so much gun violence and, and innocent children being killed, racial tensions, political divides, broken-hearted people, people who have no food, people who have no water, mothers who are worrying about whether or not they can get formula. All of these things... Why are we not desperate for God to come back and help us? As we continue in the service, there's going to be a track playing, but I invite you to come now to these altars. I invite you now to come to the altar, lift up a groan to the Lord, cry out to the Lord for the things that he wants to bring to us. Lord, send your Holy Spirit. The altars are open.